Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. The long national nightmare of the NBA All-Star break is coming to an end, uh, and we will be getting back to game-by-game betting as we enter the home stretch of the regular season of um, both NBA and college basketball. Um, and uh, so, without further ado, uh, let's welcome our co-host, Andy. Andy, how are we doing on this Wednesday? Beautiful Wednesday night. You watching a little uh, watching a little of this Duke-UNC coverage? Beautiful. Beautiful, you yeah, beautiful day. We got eight eight more inches of snow there in Minnesota. It's uh, oh, winter wonderland. Yeah, no, nothing, no real storylines yet coming out of uh, North Carolina there. <laughs> well, uh, wait, wait, wait a, to wait to see how this game progresses. Yeah, yeah, just a boring game Minor with the President Obama juice. there. Nothing, nothing to see here. Um, well, you're gonna get a break yeah. from the. You're gonna get a break from the winter weather pretty soon, right? You're heading out to. Uh, to beautiful sunny Las Vegas for March Madness. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah, about a, a month, month from away. today. One month away. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's uh, let's cover some more NBA handicapping specific to the theme we started last week, which is kind of covering how to go about developing a model to evaluate your quantitative edge in basketball. Uh, and to help us e- explore this topic in more detail, an old friend of the pod, uh, none other than Mr. Woody Wins. Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Woody. Andy White Whale. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having um, me on the pod. <laughs> so, um, Woody, it's been, yes, uh, it's been, about, uh, been about a year since we had you on to kind of pick through uh, everything that was going on in the world of sports handicapping. Um, you definitely, uh, helped us, uh, nail some, uh, NFL last season, uh, and, uh, set up some of our NBA success that we had as we hit into the, uh, I think we hit a perfect uh, hundred on the, uh, on the playoffs last year. Um, but, um, nice. a perfect 1000, I guess is the right way to say that. Um, oh, yeah. the, the, uh, but the, um, you know, the, you know, the listeners who are relatively new to this podcast may not really know much about your background, which I find absolutely fascinating uh you are kind of in the heart of the burgeoning um legal marijuana industry in california correct oh yeah yeah we've got a little little farm up in in humboldt county and we're uh trying to navigate these legal waters that were thrust upon us and we're uh it's been an adventure every time we think we're done we get a list from the county saying oh no hey here's 10 more things you need to complete and we need it yesterday and it doesn't stop the the various regulatory boards from asking for for more permit money and it's just one thing after the other after the other and i hope there's a light at the end of this tunnel <laughs> i imagine there will be soon but we're plugging along and i i'm complaining way too much it's it's beautiful living out here and and i'm very fortunate to be able to uh do what i do and and live the way i live and meet the the interesting characters that are constantly flowing through this wonderful county so i'm uh i'm loving it up here in northern california right on for those who don't know the emerald triangle the emerald triangle um is uh kind of the you know ground zero for the best uh 
the best of the best. And the Napa um, County of cannabis. If you the will. Napa, great, great way to great way to sell it. Um, and the first time we had you on, you told us pretty some pretty fascinating stuff that kind of challenged what I knew about a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the industry. And you know, I was kind of like, oh well, now it's legal. It's you know, everybody's going to get rich, right? And you were kind of set the stage for us, which was pretty fascinating. That uh, no, in fact, uh, it was actually creating a surplus and and screwing up oh, prices, yeah. and there was all kinds of chaos. There's is uh, are you now sitting in a place where you feel like? Um, you know, that, that things will, you know, are, are on the cusp of starting to open up and get better. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's not as much crunch in that regard. So definitely a little bit. Um, the, the County has been, has found this new method of suppressing the amount of illegal grows before they would fly over with helicopter and drop down on a tether and chop the crop down and then move on to the next farm that they came across. And, that was somewhat of an effective method, uh, terrifying and frustrating, and but it worked. Now, arguably, what they do, which is much worse, maybe a little bit more effective for them, is they send you a letter in the mail saying, oh, $1,000 a day, fine, for, for every day that you have this grow going on your property. So that got people to stop growing illegally pretty quickly. And as a result of that, the, the price has normalized a little bit. Uh, we, we see the same kind of fluctuation seasonally every single year where it's, it's booming in the fall. And then as everybody's harvesting, you know, the price has a, has a pretty steady dip all the way down through the winter. Mm. And then the, the masses get bought up and then come February, March, April, like roughly now, you, you start to see the price kind of creep back up again and, it, and it's happened every single year um as far back but now it's starting to get back to where it was last year and and could potentially even creep back up a little bit higher which would be a very welcome surprise so hoping for that but you know we're we're taking some steps to create actual products and get a lot closer to the the end customer as opposed to, to wholesaling out and we're just innovating a little bit and, and trying to be a little more creative and as a result uh, you know hopefully capture a little bit more of the the margin that's out there because the, the consumer really isn't paying less at this point it's just a matter of whose hand is in the cookie jar Got it. That makes total sense. Well, uh, my fingers are crossed that it ends up kind of following the the Napa wine model, and you I do end up, will. you know, yeah. I think, I think I, that that would be best for um, you know for everyone involved. So fingers crossed. Let's talk about some MBA. Um, this time last year, we spent a lot of time messaging each other, kind of help you know trying to trying to help kind of figure out, crack the code, you know, refine models. And, um, you know, there really wasn't a lot, there really wasn't a lot of other people uh, in our community and Twitter, at least that were really pushing hard in this area. It kind of felt like we were, you know, uh, you know, out in the wilderness, so to speak, trying to, you know, fend for ourselves and, and figure, figure things out without any help. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's come with you know relatively strong results and you've you've gone through almost all of this season posting uh you know daily projected scores and you know it's it's great to have you on to kind of get some additional perspective on how to build a hoops model because i know we don't do it the same way uh we come yeah. at this from pretty particularly different uh, approaches and as andy and i say a lot there's really not a wrong way i mean i mean there's not a wrong way to try 
um, you know, to build a, a, an analytical model that helps you handicap. So um, this should be a fun conversation here. But uh, just generally, what have what's been your two cents on uh, the NBA season to this point? Any uh, any special surprises, or uh, you think this is still Warriors Warriors to lose? Um, and then, oh, and then in particular, who's the best team in the East? Uh, so it's definitely the Warriors Ooh. to lose. Um, I think looking at some of these uh, strength of opponent charts, uh, Milwaukee is right up there in the East. Um, Boston and Toronto are, are, I would say, a half step behind Milwaukee. Um, the Thunder have made some splashes in the West, but I, I can't see anybody toppling the Warriors this year. I mean, Boogie has just fit in way too seamlessly. I mean, you got the Splash Cousins, you know, draining threes, and you're just like, oh, my God, of course he goes to the Warriors, right? So he's the perfect fit there. But uh, seeing Milwaukee in the East click has just been so much fun to watch. And they have performed pretty consistently atop the board. Uh, against bottom 10, mid 10, and top 10 teams. And every it seems like every time they played Toronto, then and they just took it to them. So the, I, I really think Milwaukee's the team to uh, keep an eye on in the East. And everybody's going to talk about the, the Sixers and these new acquisitions that they, they made at the trade deadline. And, and, you know, the Raptors getting Gasol is, is a nice little cherry on top, but, I don't know. Did you watch a lot of Memphis? They they weren't exactly tearing it up. So no, I'm uh, I'm really really excited with uh, with what's going on in in Milwaukee. Oh, interesting. Um, do you think? I mean, do you think Boston just kind of punted? I think, I think it was just this a big chemistry experiment that's gone wrong there. I mean, yeah. they they were doing so well in the playoffs late last year. They made that fantastic run that I would say most people weren't expecting and probably potentially should have won game seven against uh, the Cavaliers. I mean, they went 0 for however many, just like Houston did in, in game seven or game six, whatever it was, that where they, they ended up, you know, seceding to, uh, to the Warriors. I mean, those two games, those, I think they were both game sevens, uh, the Cavs Warriors, or Cavs Warriors, uh, Rockets Warriors and, and Cavs Celtics were, were almost identical, where, where both teams just went completely cold from three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you? It was, a, it was uh, a weird playoffs in the East there. It was. There was, there was, was a time where I thought the strange. Cavs were going to lose. I thought, I thought for sure the Cavs were going to lose to Indiana. And yeah, Indianapolis was, or Indiana rather. Um, what do you think Indiana holds on to this? Uh, do you think Indiana holds holds off uh, Philly and Boston and uh, keeps keeps the three seed? Because Philly Boston round one playoff matchup would be like that would be like dream come true. That would be so fun to handicap. And it looks like Philly, you know, they're gonna set uh, they're gonna sit Embiid for a couple of uh, weeks here potentially. Um, possible Indiana Indiana uh, holds on to three. Uh- Pacers have a pretty tough remaining schedule. Uh, if I'm looking, I'm looking at a chart with their their strength of schedule, and and they've got a pretty sharp curve headed up towards more difficult. Uh, Phillies is is below average, pretty much across the board. It, it's slightly peaking up, but it's it's nowhere near the the slope of the curve that the Pacers have. And uh, let's see, where's where's Boston? Uh, Boston too has a pretty pretty difficult slope ahead of them. So I mean, Indy got off to that 
a fantastic start and it's such a such a shame to see Oladipo go down like that um but I I think the the schedule in front of them is is just going to be too difficult and they'll they'll probably start dropping some games here I would mm. I would be on I'm not going to fade them because I don't think there's any value in in going against them but I think their their schedule is is pretty mm. tough damn well I was kind of asking that hopefully because per- yeah. personally like I have I have some pretty significant liability uh on the Raptors to win the East um Kawhi has not impressed of late I thought he was going to round into form where he was going to be clearly the best player in the East and Giannis has outplayed him significantly yeah. yeah he is outplayed the shit out of him um he's looking good and, but you know I mean I, I was kind of like holding out hope like best case scenario for Toronto is Indiana stays in the three slot because Boston kind of has Philly's number um they kind of own that team I don't know what it is but they're in their head uh, and I would expect if you got a four or five Boston Philly, Boston would uh, prevail and then head to Milwaukee. And they kind of have a nice matchup with Milwaukee also. Like they can sure. defend the perimeter pretty well. Uh, and Milwaukee makes so much of their hay on the outside with some of their shooting. Uh, it would be interesting to see Boston Milwaukee in the uh, second round of the playoffs because I think Boston could probably eke out that series, uh, which would then give uh, Toronto Boston Eastern Conference Finals. Where I love, I love Toronto in that matchup. So that's that's my dream scenario in terms of how the NBA you know, playoffs. In the you're East you're so concentrating on those top teams. You're 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 so dialed in on those you know those four or five <laughs> top teams. I think we're kind of we're kind of well. I mean, you're burying the headline, and the big question I think for Woody is. Can Orlando win the division? And I think the biggest question that everybody's asking, can Miami still get to 39 wins? Oh, everybody is asking that. It's a buzz. Twitter is a buzz. Inquiring minds want to know. Um, it would be exciting if Orlando got there. I mean, that franchise could could definitely go for a, a play, a little playoff first round exit. I don't think they would mind too much about that, uh, given the drought. So, yeah, go go Orlando. They're doing some fun stuff. Yeah, man. Their, oh. their schedule gets a lot easier too. So, I mean, there's there's a pretty good chance they, they make does. the run. Uh, uh, the Heat schedule is, is gets a little bit a little bit tougher, but it's there. They're hovering right around average for us. Orlando breaks, takes a, a pretty steep drop down. Mm, so, okay. I think Orlando would could definitely make that run. To Great segue. Have a nice first round exit. Great segue. Uh, strength of schedule. Um, some One of the things that I found out pretty quickly and tried to carry over to my basketball modeling philosophy is um, adjusting the efficiencies that I use as input for the strength of the opponent played. This is pretty standard fair now in football if you're using you know DVOA. Opponent, a DVOA or any opponent right. adjusted metric, yeah um, or you know any kind of expected points added you know any pretty much every worthwhile metric for football kind of accounts for a strength of opponent. Um, but if you are just going and picking off, um, you know, offensive and defensive efficiency, uh, at, you know, season average, it's completely missing that context. And I think that context is pretty important. Um, how do you handle uh, strength of schedule when you're doing uh, your hoops modeling, Woody? So I, I do a, I sprinkle it in there. I, I have a combination of uh, Pythagorean and net rating that I, I factor into to each game, create a baseline 
going across the league and then have a multiplier come back towards my individual team's ranking. So it's, I'm still working out some of the kinks on it because uh, it is something I just added into the model this year. But uh, strength of schedule and uh, individual game by game strength of opponent it has it's helped me drastically on the against the spread handicapping. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that uh, it presents situations where a team is going through a relatively easy portion of their schedule and they enter a hard portion, and therefore the recency bias get, presents value on a given team, or vice versa? Yeah, and I think we saw that with with the Thunder earlier in the year, where they they went off on this just sick run to to get going, but then they've they've come back to earth a little bit, and that's specifically because their their strength schedule curve has is very very sharp. Um, same thing with the the Jazz, uh, but conversely, they they started off really slow, but their schedule is also really really tough to to get going, and then Great as the season progressed, it, it, it's falling off a cliff. Yeah. And everybody's like, yeah. oh, what's wrong with the Jazz? They're supposed to be this, the, the next up-and-coming team. And it really is just a, a factor of who they're playing and when. Do you see the Jazz have three games left against Phoenix <laughs> somehow? How is that <laughs> fucking possible? How is that possible? Um, yeah, yeah the, the Jazz are a team you want to buy low on right now. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you on that. Um, when you talk about uh, strength the schedule curve, uh, is I guess is it a reasonable approach – at the beginning of the season, because now I'm I'm learning a lot of this on the fly for sure. Mm -hmm. Fatigue, great example. Like I finally quantified fatigue, got off my ass, actually wrote a you know wrote a uh, you know a, a you know a way to do it and quantified it. Like I got to do it now. Similarly with the strength of schedule to try to identify buy low, sell high. We do it in NFL qualitatively mm -hmm. somewhat, but it can be yeah. quantitative for sure in the NBA because there's so many more games. Yeah. Um, makes sense at the beginning of the season to take like expected wins like like i guess how powerful of a tool is is preseason expected wins once the market's kind of shaped the number pretty well like does that give you a pretty good jumping off point to evaluate strength of schedule you know it's not something that i specifically look at i know a lot of really really smart people do um it's the my thought on it is it's more those numbers get beat up and down constantly and how many times have we looked back on a season and been like well we got that team completely wrong yeah that's uh, true yeah. so it's I, I think that there's definitely value to incorporating what it is and how the market reacts to a specific team i just don't personally incorporate that into into my strength of schedule um i'm much i much prefer to get a little bit of a sample for the given season somewhere between five and 10 games for, for everybody before I really start picking apart. Okay. Well, who really is good and, and, and who's, who's not like at the beginning of the year, you know, how would you have rated Dallas or Sacramento? Good point. You know, I imagine your opinions can be drastically yeah. different today. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Kind of taking, taking those two last points, like the, I, I guess actually like the two last topics there kind of got me thinking about something we talked about, especially in like the, the schedule. I think it was our NFL schedule podcast where we talked about certain spots. And I mean, this is completely separate from modeling the NBA. This is more futures based or, I mean, and it can be a modeling as far as if you want to start looking at adjusting teams throughout the season, like you were just talking about, but 
you do have those those preseason numbers. You have your preseason expectations. You have what you think of the team, what your numbers think of the team. Like, are, are you are you doing anything with like futures? Like we talked about, it just didn't it didn't work out for us. Like we didn't end up taking the bet. But like our example is Green Bay had a really rough stretch, and we said if you know if Green Bay is looking like they're a good team, but they have to rip through this really hard spot in the schedule and then all of a sudden we pounce on you know green bay futures and it it just didn't turn out because you know the injury with rogers and some other things that happened right. in the nfc but you know the same the same kind of thing you could have in the in the nba with like you talked about the disparity between those uh what you mentioned the mavericks and who else there you yeah know, compared to the king's preseason. a lot a lot better yeah. than where oh yeah the king yeah the kongs for sure but yeah <laughs> as far as <laughs> you know, you're looking at looking at preseason, you know, division conference to make playoffs, anything numbers. I don't know if we should even mention like to win the title cut numbers because yeah, right, right. They're they're, they're, so, just, they're so skewed. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's unless you're speaking of that, I do, I do, yeah, I do have Warriors minus one thirteen. So oh, look at you! Look at you! Look at rest of the numbers. All right. Um, I think it was the day boogie signed. Andy, let me ask you. Oh, that was a great play by you. Um, let me ask you though. The um, you, you, is there, are there have, are there any kind of tricks or uh, secrets that you have kind of discovered in looking at uh, NCAA hoops as far as strength of schedule goes that can be translated to NBA beyond what we've talked about? Yeah, and I think I think the disparity there. I don't I don't model the NBA, and I don't know exactly you know the the range i guess i would say you have on some of these teams strength of schedules but there's quite a bit of difference in in that when you get in the ncaa especially when you get teams coming first you know first into conference play when they've had their non-conference stuff there can be some wild wild disparities in strength of schedule where you really got to take that into account because it's hard to I guess have the numbers do it for you when you say like, uh, you know, you know, you're using, I don't know, just say like four factor numbers, pace, efficiency numbers, three point shooting, some things like that. But you have a, a, a massive difference in two teams, strength of schedules. Everything is going to be crazily skewed. Crazily might not even be a word, but I mean, you know what I'm saying there? It, it's just so course, wild yeah, when you get yeah. at the beginning of the beginning of conference play, because some, some teams, Go, you know, go play the top teams, especially I'm playing all these mid-majors. A lot of these small conference teams, you know, they'll go up and play ACC teams and all kinds of stuff like that in the in the non-conference and just get the shit beat out of them and their, their metrics look bad. They might not be a bad team. They just, you know, they had to play Clemson and North Carolina instead of going and playing their whatever it is, Patriot League schedule later on in the year. So it it, it is it is something you have to look at that'll kind of it kind of like you said, it's something that'll like normalize itself mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. But that's and I think that's a good point too for just anything modeling, you know, you, you have to you have to have context with everything. Without a doubt, context. I kind of went on a weird tangent yep. there. Yeah, two, 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 uh, two thoughts I have on this stuff, and you can ask me some questions, Andy. Um, one is adjusting. You know, I you know, lesson learned. Uh, I could not make any sense out of efficiency numbers um, that were season average uh, without doing the homework and the data cr- crunching myself. Uh, and I got to the point where I was okay. Uh, I will crunch the data daily. 
I will grab the box scores myself. I will calculate, you know, I will, I will estimate possessions using a, a reasonably robust formula, uh, and I will calculate offensive and defensive efficiency, and I will immediately adjust that number for how strong the opponent is, uh, given their average to, in, you know, to that point in the season. Right, so I'm adjusting it specifically given their average, so, and and it's all kind of in the context of uh, this team is five percent better than average um, on defense, and this other and 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 this offensive efficiency was 110. Therefore, if they had played an average team, their offensive efficiency in that game would have been 110 times 1.05. Right? Is that is that Jeff? In terms mm-hmm. of how I'm doing this, so I'm making an adjustment. No, and I love, I love that because it, it does. Take, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it normalizes it. It gives it, it gives it the number itself context where you For can, sure. you, you're comparing apples to apples. I think, I think, yeah, that that and that's what you have to do because otherwise you, you could be making comparisons that will you know make no sense if you actually broke them down and looked at it. Yeah, and granted, if I had more time and if I were more, you know, if I were potentially if I were doing this professionally, I would put a little bit more work into kind of providing more context for why, you know, rather than just using a a team level, you know, taking a whack at it, potentially look specifically at what was going on in that game. Were starters rested? Was there a blowout? Do I need to clean uh, some of the, the garbage time points out of this? Um, yeah, you first know, like, three like, quarters of a game. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, you, you got it exactly. Like looking at that stuff, I think would be worthwhile oh. if I had more time. Um, but that's getting uh, that's getting. And that, and that is, I will say, rate. that is the tough part. That's yeah, that's the tough part about college basketball. Like on a Saturday, on a Thursday, there's you know there there can be like a ninety game Thursday. Oh. You can have a hundred and fifty. <laughs> you know, you can have a hundred. There's there's been there's been numerous Saturdays where there's been a hundred and fifty games. Like unless you had a team, you couldn't break all those down and look at, you know, somebody sat out a big chunk of time, a player was suspended. Yeah. You know, especially if it if it wasn't a game that you played, it, you're because I do look for that that stuff after after a model after the model spits out some numbers that say this could be a play. I try to go find a little info, but you know, if it was like a couple games before, you know, somebody was sitting out multiple games and I missed that and it affected their numbers greatly or something yeah, like that. that right. You know, those are, those are the things you're going to miss out when you're modeling hundreds of teams, which literally yeah. that's. I mean, I've barely had time to get like 30 teams modeled. Teams. I don't know how you're modeling 10 times that. That's why I, I feel the same way. I can barely wrap my head around 30 NBA teams. I don't know how you're doing more, but that, you know, this lends itself to like, and that's where I think that there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a you know less degree of accuracy because you're losing some of the context and on some of those things where you're just not going to be able to get all the news out of the MEAC every week. It's, no it's just not something yep. you can do. Yep, there's no way. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about then, um, like regression to the mean, teams that are improving or regressing, and how you capture that and. Do you even try to forward project that sort of stuff, right? Like, it's it's always interesting to me once we have about forty or so games. There are some really really good analytics accounts, positive residuals. I don't know if you guys follow them. Love they it. have yeah. some great stuff that I just absolutely love. They're basically creating shapes of like how teams improve and regress in terms of efficiency stats over the course of the season, and the patterns 
you see are just wild. Like some teams are really sinusoidal. Some teams, they are, they're, they're going up and down at a very obvious, um, you know, period. Other teams are, you know, started low, went high and vice versa. Uh, and it's fascinating to see that stuff. And presumably if you had like kind of an, in, an infinite number, not even infinite, but just like a bunch of realizations of what, you know, what path, a team could go on over the course of the season, you know, you could forward project, you know, as they are improving and like, like, let's say you caught the magic. We're getting better two weeks ago. Right. And you are forward projecting. You're like, wow, this fits a pattern where their path suggests they're going to go from, you know, 2% over, over average to 6% over average to 10% over average. And you captured that and forward projected that and assumed you know, that they were going to improve, you would have absolutely raked on magic bets, right? Um, how, you know, is there is there a way to kind of capture that in a meaningful way other than just guessing as far as you can think of, Woody? Uh, so what I like to do and what I've been working to, to develop in the NBA after I, I had some fun doing it in the NFL a few months ago is creating these graphs that that chart the the progress of a team and then shading in different situational factors that i think may affect where and why the numbers are going a certain way for example if we had offense and defensive efficiency for a specific team in the nba and we're tracking it across time you know you can see those numbers kind of they'll they'll create different patterns and lines and, and you can see them go. But now if you were to shade in spots where like, oh, this was the end of an eight game road trip. How do the numbers oh, react with that process? You know, yes. this is, these are the spots where they were, you know, three games in four nights or, or five and seven or whatever and, and fill in those those different shades to that. So you're creating a situational heat map on this line graph that then can begin to paint more of the picture towards where and why this team is headed in a specific direction, then also add in your strength of schedule going through that. And you can kind of create a projection for where you think they're going to end up in five, oh, 10 man. games or whatever. That is freaking awesome. I, this is, uh, this is kind of clicking a whole bunch of things for me right now. I gotta, I gotta start integrating some of these ideas. This is oh, awesome. you're, you're getting nothing done at work tomorrow. I'm getting <laughs> 0. 0.0. Seriously, dude. Um, oh man, I wish we had, had I know, this. Between I wish that we had stuff recorded this and podcast some, before yeah. the all-star break. I could have done this over. <laughs> and yeah. Well, it's too late now. I know. And, and between that and yeah, and between that and some of the tweets I've been reading too. Yeah. I just yeah, want right. to, I have a ton of, I have a ton of projects <laughs> that like probably aren't going to happen. But, but yeah, like yeah, in, yep, in, yep. yeah, my college stuff. You have you. They're legitimately like people will be, you know, jockeying for seating in their conference tournaments, regardless of if they even have a you know a shot in hell at at winning their conference. That's or, true. You know, making, it's true. Well, and there, there a lot of a lot of the conferences I cap. That's you. You win it. You have one to win it. Yeah, you no, have one shot. You know, you're, yeah, you're not, you're not having, you're not having a, a, a two, a two bid league for a ton of these. So yep, you have yep, to, yep. you have to jockey for that. You know, you, you want to get one of those buys if you're on the cusp of that. There's a oh, ton of super important games that are just about to happen. Do you want to try to project um, conf- that 
like when do you think we'll start to see conference tournaments prices pop because i i feel like that's an exploitable market just like game by game is don't you think oh i am i've been waiting i've actually just i've been checking on that i don't what's think your, i don't what's think your they're strategy? Out until i have yet to decide i don't know yet because i, I just kind of want to look at like the i just want to look at like all my power numbers and see and compare compare what's going on with that you know, compared to the number, and and I don't think we're actually going to see prices on a lot of them until they release brackets on the tournaments. I, I want to expect that it would be right after brackets. Maybe too. somebody. Can, yeah. No. No. Yeah. I think you're right. I, think, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I don't. Yeah. I don't think you get prices pre-tournaments before they before they drop the brackets for the tournament. So it'll be really interesting to see once those come out. And I think it. it and it's just like. It, it seems like it's just like how the tournaments actually go. Like they come in waves. You're not all of a sudden going to have 30 some prices for all the conference tournaments to pop up at once. It's kind of, you definitely get like 10 or 12 in the first. Repeatedly, you, like yeah. you know, you get a right bunch away, to start, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Because there are a bunch that start and then the big conferences, those all go up right away. But, oh, no, dude, that's going to be fun. I'm probably yeah. going to tweet out. I'm going to tweet out some stuff that I, if I, if I'm looking, I'm, I'm actually behind the ball on futures at the moment. Like I don't really have any, I, I, I took some Auburn hundred to one the other day. They're trucking somebody tonight. I, I and, feel like, I feel like NCAA I think somebody, futures. somebody almost talked me into somebody. Yeah. Somebody talked me into Buffalo, but it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to extract money out of a long shot. Because you can't start hedging right away. You have to win so many games. Everything in, is path. In a, Everything is path. In the big tournament, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so much on path. Yeah. Like I had two really good numbers last year, and they played each other in the second round. Yeah, I had three future exactly. bets in the tournament. And the selection Sunday, they played each other second round. It's like, and well, you're that's immediately fucked. That's yeah. Yeah, and like not only you can say, well, you have somebody in the third round. No, they still have to win their first games. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like I can have um, nobody. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's tough. But yeah, we'll 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 get it. We'll have a ton of March Madness content. Yeah, and just ask people just ask people who I, had UVA, I love, UVA oh, tickets last year. <laughs> oh yeah, I love. Oh my god, I slept. I, I passed out for that game. I didn't even watch that game. I drank too much in the morning. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's pivot, let's pivot back and, and get into some more detail about the NBA modeling here. Um, so the I, I, we were going somewhere good uh, with kind of context, right? And I think this is pretty key for um, you know for all sports, really. Like you don't you you know like data is data, and it, it means you know it, but it, it it contains within it a ton of noise and uncertainty that is brought about by context. And the more you can kind of add context to those data, you know, that data and clean it, clean it and, you know, manipulate it in a way that's giving you signal instead of noise, the better off you're going to be in terms of forward usage. Um, and uh, I think that's a pretty important lesson learned from this, but um, Woody, let's uh, let me ask you a little bit about uh, total projections. Uh, anything more important than um, understanding pace when it comes to projecting totals in the NBA? Not really. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, that's the best place to, to start, honestly. Um, it's, you, your sample size is big enough over you know, 100, 110 possessions a game. That's, that's the best because their players are going to make and miss shots but if you look at the the top shooting percentage versus the bottom you, you really don't have that big of a disparity between the best team and the worst team so yeah i mean pace is the best thing to look at and, and maybe even how how do 
the fast-paced team's pace, how is that affected with the context of playing another fast-paced team? Or and, and not looking at it as a season-long average, but saying, okay, if the let's say the the, the uh, Hawks are are playing the Warriors, right? They're they're, they're both going to be up in that top tier. So let's look at the the five other teams that are also, or the ten other teams that are also in the the top tier as far as pace, and let's see how the the scores went in those specific games and then factor that in and average that in with the season long stuff. And that way you're kind of providing a little bit more rounded of a shape towards how these two faster paced teams are going to affect the pace of that specific game. God, that's, this is great. I have like five jumping off points here. Uh, first one, because, uh, because, you know, my, 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 my uh, feelings about pace are, it's very important. Uh, I, number two, I feel like it's very stable, a lot more stable than offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. When yeah. you start to pick up a trend of, and in general, pace tends to decline from game one to game 82. Like to just probably oh, look fatigue. how the scoring was the beginning of yeah, the year. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was yes. insane. Yeah, it was insane. And, but just on average year over year, like it's kind of a downward trend in terms mm-hmm. of pace, unless something crazy happens, like a coach gets fired or a key player comes back or, you know, the point guard comes back, something like that. Yeah, yeah. All um, else being equal. Yeah. What, but uh, what, are there anything you've seen you've noticed you can tease out for when teams are like huge disparity like you have a and and does um does the better team ever you know do they in general have more to say about the pace the game is played like i've always kind of suspected this but never really tried to validate it by looking at the data but i kind of feel like the better team kind of decides uh, we're playing our pace today you know i kind of thought it had I had a theory that had more to do with the home team versus the away team. Uh, but oh, to, to be truly honest, I haven't done enough study on that specific breakdown of it. Well, how I, about, I, how, yeah. How about when there's like a real huge disparity? Like, well, how about when like Memphis plays golden state? Yeah. Those tend to throw my numbers through a loop. And, and usually what ends up happening is either my number is going to be way off or it'll be exactly where the market is because the books are kind of battling with that same conundrum. So when, when we have these big outlier games, I, I think the slower paced team will, will have more control over the game than, than the faster paced team. But, you know, if Memphis is playing catch up, you know, sometimes they, they got to get up and go. And, um, the only honest answer I have is I, I really haven't done enough study on it to, to give a truly informed answer on that yeah i f- and there's must be some randomness too i feel like if it was pretty telltale we would already know or we would have already figured it out talking to each other because it, this is a, it's a tough it's a tough thing and maybe the maybe the right answer is if there's a huge disparity in pace you just cross off that game from betting the total right like it's yeah, in, yeah i mean if because because what it introduces is higher variability right and so presumably if there's less you know if you know less about the expected pace of the game then you should have a lower confidence on whether your projection of high you know, over or under is correct exactly yeah yeah okay um i don't even who's the lowest paced team I, you guys would know off right off hand like i, I don't even know memphis isn't it 
Is it still them? Uh, it's been them for a while, but they they uh, they went through a weird little bump when they were right around the trade deadline, where um, they were uh, where they were sitting Connolly and Gasol because they were about to be traded, uh, and all the kids were running fast for no freaking reason. But they are <laughs> op- op- opponent adjusted over the course of the season. They are at ninety seven point nine. The next lowest is 99.1, which is Cleveland. Um, so they are substantially yeah. lower than the average. The average the average uh, team has, let me see here, 103 possessions a game. Memphis is under 98. So they have five fewer possessions per game than the average team in, in Memphis. And it's um, been like that for years, I feel like. Yeah, different co- coach over. Yeah, different coaches, different players. Like it's. And yeah, I was just gonna say it's, it's not even. It's not even the same coach. Yeah, it's really it's really crazy. It must um, be the, the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know you might be on something there. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably it. Um, it's uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting trying to kind of sort through this and uh, the highest, the fastest paced team. Uh, one at one oh clocking in at one oh seven point two is your Atlanta Hawks, um, Hawks yeah. which is funny because like they are they're not that great on offense. Their offensive efficiency is pretty close to average. Their defense is among the worst in the league. So if you are at a disadvantage on every single freaking trading possessions, why you want more possessions than any other team makes 0.0 sense to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is, and they're trying to get their kids some reps, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that always kind of cracks me up because you, it would make sense for the better teams that have an advantage, you know, have, have a, have a, a positive net efficiency. You would expect them to want to play at a higher pace and vice versa. Well, the, uh, uh, the Hawks, uh, <laughs> GM, uh, he just came over from, uh, Golden State. Yeah. So I think yeah. they're, they're, they're trying to, to replicate a lot of what the Warriors were successful with. And, and not that the Warriors pioneered increasing the pace, but they, they definitely were the first team to have pretty consistent success with it. And, and you know, you saw the same thing when Gentry went to uh, the Pelicans instantly. Yeah. That, that, that year, they, the Pelicans' pace boosted. Yep. And, yep. Yep, strongly agree. Um, it's funny, quick, like yeah, you, you talk about their the efficiency and the pace, though. Like, you know, you, why would you want to? Why would you want to have a a faster pace? <laughs> I don't, do you think? Do you think the average NBA team would even consider that question? Like, if you ask, I think I think the average coach coaching staff would would have to ask multiple follow up questions to even understand what you're asking. <laughs> It's a fair point. You no, know, like uh, there's, there's no, yeah, there's no way they're considering that. Maybe, maybe Houston. Yeah, maybe Houston yeah. would know what the hell that's going on there. But like, I don't know if any any teams are that analytically driven to even to even get the question. Yeah, yeah. Like no, it's, that's just no, that's just how fast that's how fast no, we run we our play, offense. We, we play how we play. What are you talking about? Um, we're getting better yeah, shots when we're running faster. Okay, yeah, great, but uh, you know. You're giving your opponent more possessions, which is burying you because you can't play defense. Um, okay, so the uh, last jumping off point I had for you, Woody, and this is really relevant going forward uh, for the rest of the NBA season. Um, let's talk about some tanking and how that impacts pace. Last year, I kind of 
floundered after the all-star break for like a week and a, and change. I was just horrific capping. I could not hit a winner. And eventually I kind of came to the realization, wow, there are some teams that I did not have on my radar as tanking that are just blatantly taking. And it didn't really, I was kind of not expecting it last year because I didn't really feel like last year's draft class was like so worth tanking for um deandre ayton at least is the prize for being the first overall pick didn't really stand out to me as something that was like obvious like yeah we need to jockey for draft draft position um but uh you know we're living in this world downstream of uh, philadelphia you know executing the process um and it's just all about taking as many shots as you can uh, you know, in the draft. And so, yeah, tanking is going to be real over the final quarter of the season. Uh, and it had a huge impact on pace last year. Like when you had two tanking teams playing each other last year, it was an auto under. Like they're yeah. literally like they they would play relatively even for three quarters. And then it was like you would get some quarter, fourth quarters where there would be like 25 points. And you're just like, are you shitting me? Like, this is so bad because it was just a staring contest to see who could screw up and, you know, and, and score <laughs> late in the game and, and decide the winner. Um, and so when you had these relatively competitive games going down the stretch between these tanking teams, they were just beautiful unders. Uh, one, do you suspect we can expect that this year? Uh, given they made some rules to to minimize the um, the incentives to tank, uh, and just in general, uh, when you have a team that's that's playing poorly, that's playing out their schedule, like how do you approach handicapping them over the last quarter of the season? Uh, well, my first what I first look at is okay, where are they still in the hunt? And if if they're not in the hunt, I almost instantly cross them off my my ATS uh board um when we're looking at pace you know you you really get those teams that are stuck in the mud at late in the season and they just want to you know go fishing at the end of it right (laughs) so there you you do find those spots where it's auto unders and it's it's definitely when whenever you're looking at the teams that are no longer in the hunt and the tankapalooza is in in full effect and yeah you just got to adjust your numbers down a few points I've found. Mm. Do you feel it manifests in pace or is it offensive efficiency that it kind of shows up? A little bit of both. Okay. Definitely a little bit of both. Um, you know, you, you've, I've got these charts that show offensive defensive efficiency versus what tier of team top middle and bottom. And, and you can definitely start to see the patterns emerge with the, the teams at the bottom of that, where they're, they have a nice little curve that goes, you know, starts low, goes up to those mid-tier teams, and then takes right back off for for the top-tier teams, and mm. it's it it fits right in. I like that a lot with the tiers of the of the numbers, the pace and offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency for sure. Mm. To go into a little bit more depth about uh, Tankapalooza this year, um, equal chance of getting a num- the number one overall pick if you're in the bottom three. Uh, rough, you know, those and, tw- and not a huge step for four. Um, equal percent-ish chance of landing in the top four if you're in the bottom five-ish. Uh, definitely the top three, um, you know, by bottom three at least of, of the standings. Um, and there's a pretty clear delineation here between the bottom four and then five through eight 
as I look at the current Tankapalooza standings. Uh, no one's catching Phoenix, New York, and Cleveland. Chicago's kind of on the bubble at the fourth worst team. Um, does the fact that they are pretty much in the clear, all of them, for a roughly equal probability of landing uh, a, a, an ACL list, Zion Williams, uh, does the fact that they're all about equal uh, change the likelihood that they full on tank down the stretch, if you had to guess, Andy? For, for rephrase the question one more time just rephrase it so it makes sense in my head because that you just asked like a two-minute question so simplify that one. they changed the rules where if you're <laughs> effectively if you're in yeah, the you know, I, I, four, I get i get yeah. i get the lottery change yep yeah the fact that there's really no added value to being the worst does yeah. that impact the the likelihood and and that there is a clear tier at the bottom of the standings where there's not going to yeah, be. Yeah, no, and I think, I think, yeah, that's, that's the key. That is the key. When, if, if those teams continue to just be in that, that shit tier of, you know, like Chicago doesn't join them and it's just those three, it might get a little weird. Like there's no incentive to play worse. So they might all of a sudden find themselves winning a couple games, and then Chicago is all of a sudden in the mix accidentally, because like, you can't you can't tank as a threesome of teams. Now it might you know there's not like a collective plan between them all. So yeah, if if there's no incentive to be the absolute worst team, the tanking might be a little less, and all of a sudden Chicago might be in the mix. That could get that could get weird because Chicago in that situation would have tons of incentive to tank. And then, Try you know, like to also, too, three. Yeah. yeah, like we talked about with uh, the Clippers, too. I, I don't know all the situations for protected picks. I mean, obviously, that's a big one. I don't – I guess you guys might know a little better than I as far as that, if there's anybody that's really – and I guess that's going to be more towards the middle of the pack if they're in the – it's funny, in danger of making the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Most yeah. people, you know, they're not going to be they're not going to be down at that at that bottom tier. Memphis is an interesting rule. Uh, they have an interesting um, uh, situation. Uh, they're they will get their pick if they finish in the bottom eight, and they are currently sixth. So Memphis has a very, very, very strong incentive to tank. Um, Cleveland also has an incentive to tank. They're protected one to ten, although they're never getting to. They're never. They're not. There's no way Cleveland ever gets to eleven. Yeah, yeah, that that's safe. Um, and the Clippers, uh, if they can work their way out of a playoff spot, then they will get to make their pick instead of trading it to Boston. Um, so that's that's those are the only rules that I can really point to that I know of. Um, so is it going to be the Kings or the Lakers that? take the, the Clippers spot. Well, I think the Kings are going in. I think the Kings are going in. They they um they have all the makings to me of a team that is Kings are fun, you know, man. They they're fun to watch. They they feel like the 8th seed. Yeah. Um the the last spot that I think is kind of up for grabs is actually between the Lakers and the Spurs. Um the Spurs have a nasty hard schedule. That's kind of sneaky hard. Um, and I don't love some of how they have played against some of the better teams in the league this year. 
Um, they're not improving on defense over the course of the season that we have seen with previous pop teams. Uh, and I'm concerned about the Spurs screwing this up and, and sliding their way out. Um, so, but, but between the Spurs, Kings and Lakers, uh, only two of those are going. Um, and I'd have it right around a 50, 50 possibility that the Lakers are the, are, are one of those two You, you teams. have more faith. The Lakers are going to get it right over the Spurs. No, uh, I would say in order of confidence, I would, I would say Kings, Spurs, Lakers, um, but it's close between the Lakers that, and the Spurs. You know, we talked, I forgot to bring up the Clippers prop, but that Lakers prop, you know, they opened on a bunch of teams as far as to make the playoffs or miss the playoffs. And I believe the Lakers opened, it was like uh, one fit plus 115 plus 120. And that's, that's been bad down people are people are hammering the, the lakers to to make the playoffs i want to say it's about even money the yeah. one that we that we discussed was the clip you know we talked about the clippers pick a couple times and it was clippers to miss the playoffs reopened at plus 175 and then all of a sudden it was plus 120 mm. the lakers schedule looks people, pretty people people do have faith yeah, especially out of the gate. They get the Rockets on. Uh, that, that could set the tone for them if they lose Rockets, to the Rockets tomorrow night. Bucks yep. twice, Nuggets, Celtics, Raptors. Yep, yep. Warriors. Yep, Thunder. Jazz, Thunder, Warriors, mm-hmm. Blazers. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the Lakers have it. Some some hills to climb. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be wrong. The Spurs open up with the Raptors here in a couple of days. But even so, I mean, who do the Spurs? They got the Raptors, uh, Thunder, Nuggets. Box. Yeah, it's no easy picnic for for the Spurs either. Warriors, yeah. Celtics, Rockets, Nuggets. Yeah. yeah, the Spurs have no games left. They have no games left against the bottom feeders in the um in the West, which is kind of tough. No, um, got the Cavs. They got a, they got a couple Cavs. The they got a couple yeah. Knicks. Um. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, as I kind of count through, there's less. There, there are fewer likely wins for the Spurs going forward, which is a little tricky. Um, okay, well, it's going to be interesting down the stretch. There's no denying that. Uh, the Hornets are screwed, by the way. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> Hornets. They got their schedule was so front loaded in terms of easy games, uh, oh, yeah. and they 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 have. The, who's it? I don't even know what the easy. They have one game left against a tanking team. That's the Cavs. <laughs> they, they got three. I guess they got three against the Wizards. Maybe the Wizards pack it in, um, but there really are just hardly any, uh, you know, guaranteed ish Ws left on the on the Hornets schedule. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, four factors a little. This is something that I've had a difficult time quantitatively incorporating into my handicap, but it's something that I always kind of look at, sort of as I go through the stages of my numerical modeling. Um, Mm -hmm. I am most, so process wise, I am coming to a baseline projection by combining uh, an opponent averaged, I'm sorry, an opponent adjusted um, offensive and defensive efficiency. And I am doing a time uh, window. I'm looking at a number of time windows to come up with this projected offensive efficiency uh, where I'm combining season long as well as recent performance and the time window i think is relatively important and actually before we even get into four factors 
Uh, is there a time window that you think is reasonably reflective of how a team is currently playing, Woody? Uh, I do both head? three and five games. You look at three and five? Okay, I like, yeah. I like five and seven. I think for whatever reason, seven seems like a magic number to me in the NBA, at least. It kind of covers like a two-weeks-ish. Usually the teams are playing three or four right. games a week, and so seven kind of covers a two-week window, more or less. Um, but uh, it's arbitrary. Um, but I like I like seven as and five, but three also. You know, you know it, for for some teams that are you know up and down more more violently, three is definitely <laughs> worth keeping an eye on. Um, but yeah, I like to. So I like to have uh, a, an efficiency projection that's based on season long combined with more recent performance, uh, and then um, that gives me a baseline projection, which I then kind of next step I like. Okay modeling philosophy for me for all sports is a baseline projection is only like step one um you now need to now kind of look at are there any obvious factors which you would expect your team to perform different than average for that night are they on a back-to-back do they have fatigue built up over a bunch of games recently are they missing a key player um these are all things that are you can deal with quantitatively or you can make a qualitative adjustment in my opinion, in terms of just turning the knob from their 50th percentile or just not play or scratch. Yeah. yeah, Cross it off. Um, All good strategies, but I like to say, okay, a perfect projection of a score of a game. If you get it exactly right is a combination of you had a good baseline and then you guessed the correct adjustments, right? That's, that's kind of the, that's at the, heart of how i feel about wanna, uh all of this but take yeah, a step ahead. back to your take a step back to your like current form metrics do you do anything with context or strength of schedule there aren't you ever worried like just catching a weird seven games or something or five three whatever you're doing yeah what i you know, so what not, i do not, is not all yeah, not yeah. all three five and seven game yeah, do you do you make an adjustment for that as far as how yes how strong so that section not, that you're using? Okay, right, that I'm that not, makes me feel better. Right, I'm not only so two things. I'm one. I'm not only using the previous seven games. I'm average. I'm using a weighted average between the season long and the uh, and the seven. So that basically, if you've caught a seven game window where they have overperformed and they're about to regress back to their season average, you're capturing that right. Um, and then yeah, yeah. number two, I have a flag that says how far off is their rank that I, I, how far off is their Pythagorean rank? If you look at their last seven games compared to their season average, I want that flag and I want to look, I want it to, to, to like bright red identify if they're off by more than a five, right? So if their season average is 20, but over their last seven, it's 12. Like I wanted like, the, I want the model just to pop and say, Hey, yo, yo, yo this team, there's something big going on. Right, and then you can kind so, of and then just a full yeah. Then you manually I, I, I lo- just yeah, go, I love that yeah, just manually go through. You just have that look. in as like a conditional formatting in there. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, I did that. So yep. so just pops up and it's just like bright and, red, like hey, then, like there's something funky yeah, going think, on yeah. with this team. Go look at it, right? Um, and so full yeah, full hard stop, full Zach Morris timeout, <laughs> stopping time. If people remember that, but I think the. Just yeah, the biggest thing we like not even not the NBA, not the NCAA, not even basketball, any sport, any model, any predictive analysis. Like just I think the biggest takeaway we, we hit on was 
the the context you need to give to things. Like if you take nothing else away from this podcast, like you you can't just you can't just start slapping numbers together and comparing them without context. Like so many times we've touched. I mean, on definitely that do tonight. to start. That's so important. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Oh right. no. Yeah. No. You need. You need. You need. You need to, you need need to just start slapping numbers. But yeah, that that needs to be refined. like your fail safe or your, yeah. your double check. Yeah, that then uh, refines a good word for it. That's how you need to refine your numbers is by giving everything context and and understanding why there's giant disparities. Like I don't know if Woody heard the the first one we did there, but it's like. I, I just haven't taken the time to do anything with this yet, but I just took everything I do with college basketball and translated it exactly to the NBA using the oh, exact yeah. same metrics, and it it, it, made, it made the Knicks number one. Nickabacus, and it wasn't close. <laughs> yeah, I caught that. I, I, I they undoubtedly. So yeah, so I mean, and I just think I think I could have. I think I still have that spreadsheet. I saved it. I want to take some time and revisit it. But I just I think a lot more things needed some context there. Yeah, but it's to be fair, your your metrics so are different. perfectly finely tuned to hammer the Big West in the Missouri Valley. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it, it it does not work in the Eastern yeah. Conference, but it that's works right, in the right. mid mid Eastern Atlantic. That's right. That's right. Okay. So then let's let, then let's get into more refinements. Then um, let's say that there are some specific four factors categories where teams just absolutely are mismatched like crazy. Like the number one offensive rebounding team against the team that gives up the most offensive rebounds by far. Right. Like how how do you numerically? I guess. You could probably use something the same along the same lines as you were describing, Woody, for when you have two fast-paced teams, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, this team that's especially great at offensive rebounding, what happens in the in the sample of games where they play teams that are in the bottom five of offensive rebounding? Because now you're you're building your sample out a little bit. You're not just going to the last time these two teams played each other. Uh, you can kind of build a, a little bit bigger sample to evaluate there. Um, is that something that you do? Do you have any strategies that, that you can kind of break down for when you have these big mismatches? So when I see these big mismatches, I, I don't have a specific strategy or numerical value that I attach to it. But what I do have is I have these lists of or groupings of statistics that I, I lump together. Uh, effective field goal percentage, three-point offense and defense, points in the paint, rebounding offensive defense defensive total assists turnovers forced turnovers blocks steals you you kind of group these 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 little sections of statistics together and then when you put them all next to each other you you do more of the the conditional formatting to to highlight where and when there are these drastic mismatches so if you know the 30th ranked three-point team is playing the 31st or the first ranked uh, three-point defense team, then you can create these, these extreme mismatches. And I, I tend to just notice those circle them and then look at the context of where's my, where's my power number versus power numbers that I import from the web versus where the market is on that specific team. So it's, it's more seeing how far off, the blending of those numbers is relative to these specific sections or groupings of, of stat categories are with mm. these drastic mismatches. 
I like it. Andy, do you deal with uh, you, you? You're a four factors kind of guy, right? You yeah, think some are, are more sure. valuable? You think some are more valuable or there are some mismatches that are like especially useful for college? Yeah, and that's, I will say that's something I played with a lot at the beginning was the weighting of those and, you know, anything else I'm putting in there too. I think that's important, like deciding what you think is important. And uh, something I like, and I guess just it's not like everything behind my model, but um, for, I don't know how to describe this. So I tried to describe this before the pod, like defensive four factor, I guess you want to call it. Like uh, what, you know, what the, what your team gives up as far as forcing turnovers, uh, opponents, offensive rebound possession or percentage, things like that. I like to compare how teams do, you know, how, and then I take those four, four defensive four factor stats and I weight them accordingly. And then I like to compare how teams do against the mean to see, you know, just to see if, if you can get some big mess matches there. If this team is, you know, just a much better, especially, you know, if you start dealing with a team that forces a lot of turnovers versus a team that's going to turn the ball over a lot, you can have a pretty messy game all of a sudden. And yeah. Not, not even like a, a blowout, but just like literally just a messy game. <laughs> There's some, there, you get some weird results. I've, I've just noticed a few things like that. When you, when you have a, like a turnover laden team versus a team that turns it over or forces turnovers, you get really weird results. Is, I guess is what I can say for, for, for now, because I'm mm. still kind of working on some stuff with that. No, do I, think... I, I, I do think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but like, yeah, the, the matchups, uh, teams like when you run into disparities between two teams, one team doing well in a stat category versus a team that's, uh, you know, opposing not so good. That's, that's always going to be kind of a red flag in the, in any model, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The, I guess one of the reasons I have a tough time kind of coming up with a useful way of integrating it for NBA is the difference between the good and the bad teams in the NBA is not huge, right? Like there's not like as big a gulf where some teams are turning it over a lot and some teams just never force turnovers, you know? Um, the exception may be free throws. Some teams really, really do well yeah. at getting to the free throw line and others struggle hard, like for whatever reason, I, I'm, I really don't get what's going on with the Celtics, but boy, do they suck at getting to the free throw line. Like they can just not get anything free um, when they're playing some of these tougher teams. Uh, and that has, that has presented some value and, you know, and trying to, you know, adjust down a little bit what they're expected, you know, what their expected scoring output would be when they're playing against some of the, uh, uh, the better defensive teams. Um, so uh, I guess there's probably more value in, in kind of four factors, mashups, mismatches in college than NBA potentially. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that was a big part of why my NBA model was kind of goofy. <laughs> just I think I think you start well, you start waiting some of those, and the, there's just no. Like you said, there's not huge differences, whereas even within some of these small conferences, there are some pretty big difference in, like, turnover rates and mm -hmm. offensive uh, rebound percentage, three-point shooting. There can be some massive differences, mm -hmm. not just from, you know, not just from, like, a real good team to a real bad team. It's just, like, even even how you would say, like, equal teams on equal footing within the same conference, 
Like it's, it's just wild how some teams do things much, much, much better. Whereas, like you said in the NBA, there's just not that big of a disparity, and, it, and that's what's it's going to force you to look up, look for other stats to start making your start making your model plays with. I like it. Um, let's bring this to this fascinating and worthwhile podcast to a close. Um, part two of our series about modeling the NBA. Um, but uh, I guess I'll ask, and I, maybe you haven't really gotten to this yet, Woody, but uh, have you handicapped uh, tomorrow's action yet? Thursday, getting back into the NBA. A couple uh, of great freaking games. Dude, Boston at Milwaukee. Oh, hell fucking yes. Oh, man. Boston is a five-point dog. Oh, man. I might be on them on the money line. Ooh. Uh, yeah, that's table. that's too many. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me see. Uh, Five and a half. Points. I made it three, so, three eight. Mm, so, okay, yeah, so you're pretty. I mean, you're not that far off. Not um, that far off, but definitely it's high. Two twenty seven. Two twenty seven is a damn high total. What what kind of total you got for Boston Milwaukee? Uh, two nineteen point two. Yeah, so there's some potentially some value on the under there. Um, yeah. One of the interesting things, and kind of at least I've blamed poor performance out of the all-star break over the last several seasons i've pointed to um you know the fact that everyone everyone's fatigue is kind of reset and you really don't have like you can't like just circle a team and say hey, look this is their you know fourth roadie and seven nights they're gonna have dead legs like there's none of that to be had for a couple weeks now um good is that a good enough reason for me to reduce my volume woody <laughs> Yeah, I I hate going into the All Star break. I hate coming out of the All Star break. You just don't know who's going in already on vacation mode and who coming out is you know still wishing they were on vacation. So I expect my numbers to be pretty far off the the market totals for the this first couple game or first couple days, couple nights in the, in the NBA just because they. I don't know situationally. It seems like, oh, yeah, everybody should be running at peak performance. Everybody's well-rested, but it never ends up being that way. And yeah. I always feel like looking back on my numbers, I was like, wow, I never have a good record going in or coming out yep. of the break. So I tend um, to just take it easy, pick one or two spots, and then great, get back into great it two advice. to three days into it. Great advice. Andy, uh, <clears throat> the Cleveland Cavaliers are favorites uh, tomorrow. Um, <laughs> is there a situational angle where we can back the Phoenix Suns on the road uh, because of the Valentine's Day orgy oh. that went down <laughs> with the Cavaliers? Yeah, Tristan Thompson broke up, man. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson yeah, ruining I mean, this yeah, team. That, that's what, <laughs> that is something that definitely you NBA guys have to have to put in. That I don't. I don't have to have like a full. VIP subscription to TMZ to cap the NCAA. You basketball. don't have a Kardashian yes. column in your spreadsheet. Yeah, NBA, come on. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have your character. Oh, the Kardashian curse is a hundred. I don't believe in a lot of superstition. The Kardashian curse is a thing for real. Yeah, that's that's an ugly stay away game, isn't it? Like that's that's the angle you you back the, back the team that's not for sure. Super. Yeah, you're not having the super messiness, but still, you gonna sons on the road. I don't. I don't know about any of that. It doesn't seem like something I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh that. What was that? What was the uh, what was the trademark that they used for 
that party, it was like the thought, the thoughty extravaganza. It was something utterly ridiculous uh, that they that they called that party with all the Instagram models, quote unquote models, um, and the NBA players. The the Thanksgiving. Uh, um, Thoughtsgiving? Was it Thoughtsgiving? No. No. It, God, no. <laughs> it was something crazy like that, though. It was really close. It was uh, it was the Thotourage batch. Oh, it's not because the, they were being overly Marshman, thoughtful to their Marshman. partners? No, no, no. That's not what that's, that's not that. Um, okay. I have one more question, I guess, for both Go, of you guys. Go, fire away. Fire away. Because I have, I have this. Is, is there, do you have a team that doesn't make any sense ever? Like, do you have a team Ooh. where it just it, maybe it, it has it has like outlier Heat tendencies? Is a great, just, oh it, my yeah, god, absolutely can't make Heat. sense of. Yeah. Mine is the Citadel. Citadel, you can't get a hold. You can't get a grasp on the Citadel. Um, well, no, just like it always wants to. It always wants to bet them, and it's never a good idea. Like I always find a reason to keep them off the card. Yeah, I agree with Woody yeah. though. It's the Heat, the Heat. Grizzlies, yeah. Hornets. The, uh, pace, the Pacers have been wild for totals. I don't know yeah. what is going on with the Pacers, but like they've had some just absolute. Like I had a slam dunk underplay on the Pacers a couple times, and I was just like, "This is just a bad fucking line." And then it went over by like twenty five points. So, and vice versa. Other times where I was like, "Wow, they are playing such poor defense right now. This team is going to score buckets on them." And that game ends like under two hundred. So it's it's the, the Pacers are have been a bad team for me to bet totals on, and the Heat have been a bad team for me to be on either on them or against them uh, in the sides, for sure. It was a good stretch of the season where every single night my numbers were telling me to bet the Grizzlies. And this is when they just were – they were doing great in the uh, the first half. And then for whatever reason, right before the trade deadline, the second half of these games, they would just plummet. You know, I and I was – I just crossed them off my card for a while. And I said, well, serious. why don't I just start fading these guys? And – Got a couple good spots like uh, the Kings when the the Kings went into Memphis and just pulled it out at the end. I mean, I was sweating bullets on that one, but mm-hmm. there's no reason why Grizzlies. I think Grizzlies were favored in that one too. I mean, it was, they just have these. I don't know. The Grizzlies and the Heat for me are just impossible. Yeah, yeah. That that and that's that's a that's a mini theory that I have on, on a couple teams that I've kept an eye on where it's like, it, are they so far off that my plays on them should be no plays? And then when they're a no play, they should actually be that a fade. Yeah. I've actually started tracking a couple, a couple teams like that. It's there's so many, there's yeah. all this stuff going through my head like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, last, uh, I guess last tiny, teeny question. Uh, Woody, have you ever given any thought to going beyond team level and looking at player level modeling? Yeah, I've, I've thought about oh it. God. And then I looked at how much data entry I had to do for <laughs> it and went, okay, well, this that is an off-season that. project. And I'm, yeah. I'm getting a little bit better at automating some of my, my data entry. Um, I, I've been playing around a lot with, with some of Excel's tools, but uh, with game by game analysis you know you have to put in a different link every single time to, to some of those those bbas and it just gets absolutely Monstrous. frustrating and and I've, and I've been able to, to concatenate together like basketball references game codes so 
it, I can create individual links for every single game automatically where I'm just in my spreadsheet and I'm boom, I'm clicking on the link and it takes me right to that game page for basketball reference. And I can pull a lot of the data a lot more efficiently that way. But I just, I haven't had the time to, to break it down on the player level, but it's my next year. I, I, I hope to have more of that integrated. I just, you know, I'm, I got, I'm running a farm here and I'm going through my own <laughs> real life transition that I just have yeah. the time to, to get to that level, but it's on my radar, 100%. Um, I'm thinking yeah, I'm, maybe I'm for about the 90% NFL, because there's fewer games, I'm, I'm probably going to integrate it there first, which is usually how I do a lot of my development of my systems is okay let me throw this in the nfl just because there's such a smaller sample size it's a little bit easier to to kind of wrap your head around the scope of the data and then you get into the bigger sample size with twice as many or you know 10 times as many rows in your spreadsheet for the nba but once you kind of already have the framework done with the nfl where it's a little bit easier to grasp i found it easier to then translate those same principles to basketball mm. Nice. Strong agree. Great pod. You guys did phenomenally well. Woody, great to have you back and uh, chat chat a little uh, chat a little NBA. This was this was a, a tremendous effort by all three of us. Well done, man. And uh, let's put this one in the books. Yeah, very much appreciate you having me on. Uh, if uh, your listeners are so inclined, please give me a follow on on Twitter at Woodstock Wins. Uh, Post an NBA daily and. Uh, would be happy to engage with anybody and, and chat process. And as, as long as we're, we're talking shop, I'm, I'm open to talk to anybody. I love it. Take care up there. Take care up there on the farm, Woody. And uh, best of luck to you for the rest of the season. And uh, you better be uh, sure we will reach back out to you come playoff time. Uh, because guess what? All of the modeling and uh, hard work that goes into handicapping day by day uh, gets put on the shelf. Throw, I throw right, right out the window. Come playoffs because it is an entirely different beast. So uh, that'll be fun to talk about when we get to that point. But uh, uh, good luck the rest of the way here. Yeah, and, man. Uh, I told myself I'm only I'm only betting series prices this year. I, in, you in and playoffs. me both, man. I, it's going to be tough to to back off. I'm gonna, I'm going to be more selective. I'm definitely not going to play every single game. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, you say that now. <laughs> All right, my vol, my my actual unit size is going to be significantly reduced on every game I play, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be seventy thirty or eighty twenty outlay on uh, series prices over uh, over game by game. That's my commitment. All right, guys, let's wrap. Appreciate you. Good job, good job, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>